But hey, um, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 3, uh, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 6, and we're going to get into it. We're going to chuck it up on the screen. Piao. There we go. Magic finger. It says this. Uh, who's got a Bible? Nice. If you don't have a Bible, if you've got a smartphone, you can get one. Uh, a Bible, I mean, you can get a smartphone too, but it'll cost you more than the Bible app, which is free. But um, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 in the NLT version. It goes like this. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer them. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for the, for the honor and the privilege it is to get together together as your people, God. God, I thank you that, that, that you always have something to say to us, God, that you've always got something new for us, that you've always got some encouragement, God, that you've always got somewhere to point us towards, a, a dream to sow, a, a seed to give us to, to look after, to water, to, 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 to move towards germination, God. And I pray that tonight as we're here, we, we wouldn't miss what you're saying, that we would lean in and we would hear that, that still small voice in the midst of all the noise and the words that you would speak to our hearts, God that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, but that we would leave here different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I, I don't know about you, but, but Mark chapter 3, for me, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And it's, it's one of my favorite scriptures for a bunch of reasons. Right? Well, one of the reasons it's, it's one of my favorite scriptures is because it's, it's just a cool miracle. But I don't know about you, I also really like arguing with people. And, and I like to see that you know, so often in the Bible, we read about Jesus, and He's kind, and He's gentle, which is awesome, right? Who's glad that Jesus is kind and gentle, right? It helps us with the old brimstone situation. But, but at the same time, I, I like it when I read a little bit of Jesus, and I'm like, oh, he's, a, he's, he's a little bit like me. He, he, some things annoy Him, because I don't know about you, you know, I'm not always kind and gentle all the time. So I'm like, what do I do when, when I'm annoyed? What do I do when things uh, come at me in the world? And I'm like, this isn't how, how things are meant to be. And, and, and this is a cool story of, of Jesus confronting something that, that's not quite how it should be. See, tonight I want to talk to you about the idea of functional faith. Because for the last couple of weeks, Jordan's been uh, preaching through Ephesians and this idea of, of the real. What does a, a, a real faith look like? What does a real grace look like? What does a real life look like? And this morning, Pastor Chrissy gave us an, an awesome message on, on uh, faith like a seed. What, what does it mean to have a seed-like faith? How do you look after that seed? How do you water it? What do you have to watch out for? How do you, how do you, how do you have a seed-like faith? If you didn't uh, hear it this morning, I want to encourage you, jump on our app and have a listen after the service, please. Now would be weird, right? You're like agreeing with what Chrissy said. I'll be like, yeah, it was a good sermon, but... Anyway, right, so, so, so Mark is an interesting book because it, it, it's one of the only books in the Bible where it, it's called Mark, but it's really thought that it was Peter telling Mark a bunch of stories, that, that the Apostle Peter telling the Apostle Mark a, a bunch of stories and, and Mark writing them down because Peter was a fisherman and potentially couldn't really write. Whatever reason, Mark ends up writing down these stories and, and, and it's a, an interesting book in that it, it focuses quite a bit on Jesus and 
in places of conflict. In, in fact, it gives us five examples of Jesus in places of conflict in just two chapters. Because like I said, a lot of what Jesus did was, was quite confrontational in his ministry, which I don't know about you, but I find that quite confrontational. Because if I'm honest, when I see things in, in the world that my heart cries out against, when I see things that, that I know aren't quite right, so often it can be easier for me to turn away than it is to confront them. But, but Jesus was confrontational. He was loving and he was gracious and he was kind, but, but he was confrontational. So here we have Jesus. He's in this place of, of confrontation with the religious leaders of the time. He, he's in the synagogue and, and, and it, it's, it's, the confrontation is all around Jesus' approach to the Sabbath. See, because the Sabbath is this day of rest given to the, the Jewish people so that they can remember that they're not where it ends, that their life isn't dependent on them, that they can take a whole day out of their week just to sit back and, and, and just marvel at God and their life won't fall apart, that they can say, actually, God, I can't do everything all the time. And if I stop trying, maybe I'll remember that. So, so here they have this amazing, beautiful thing, this, this beautiful day of rest given to them by God. And like we can be so eager to do, this beautiful thing was taken and perverted. So you see, they take it and, and they, the Pharisees, who are the, the religious people of the time, they, they take this thing called the Sabbath and they take it to the extreme. All of a sudden, it's, it's no longer about having a relationship with God, about a day where you marvel at how amazing God is, where you reflect on the fact that everything you do, you can only do because He's given you the strength to do it. It becomes a day about rules, a day about watching your neighbor, about dobbing someone else in so you can get up in the social standing because did you see him? He, he, he milked his cow on the Sabbath. Did, did you see her? She, she swept out her house on the Sabbath. So now they're not as important as I am because I just sat back and just marveled at God. But really, you're just looking for someone else to blame on the Sabbath. And so here it is. It's this thing that was, that was made to reinforce relationship, and it's been turned into rules. What was meant to be restorative is now destructive. So here Jesus is. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, surrounded by a system that, that isn't what it's meant to be. And the, the temple was meant to be a place to draw close to God. The Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest and realignment with God, and, and yet it's all gone askew. Has anything in your life ever gone askew? Has anything in your life ever, ever gone just, just a little bit wrong, just fallen apart a little bit? Have you ever just stopped and looked at your life and been like, somewhere along the way, the wheels fell off? Right, this, this year, um, I, I started going to the gym again. And you might say to yourself, Jono, why, why would you go to the gym? You're already such a, an amazing marvel of, of male anatomy. You just look incredible, right? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Emma. I, we can continue the discussion later, right? But, but you might be saying, man, why, why would you go to the gym? See, see, what happened is I discovered that actually when I don't exercise, I get very grumpy. Um, I discovered that after about two years of not exercising. It helped a lot when I realized that uh, just, just do some exercise. It helps, right? If you're here today and you're grumpy, just try going for a walk, right? So, so, so what? What happened is I, I had the time and, and the, the stars aligned. I got off my lazy butt and, and I went back to the gym. And, and I'd been to the gym when I was a student, which was a wee while longer than I thought it was when I went back to the gym, right? And, and so I thought I could just pick up where I left off, right? I walked in and I thought that I could just resume lifting the weights that I, that I lifted when, when I first went to the gym. I won't tell you what those weights were because half of you will judge me and half of you won't listen for the rest of the sermon because you'll be trying to figure out how one man could move so much. How is it? Wow, he just then he puts uh. right. So, so, 
So I went back to the gym and I was like, this will be fine, right? I, I've grown, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm a man now. I can grow at least half of a little bit of a beard on my face in some places, right? And, and, and so I went and I went to lift the weights that I lifted before and I was like, oh no, something's happened. They've made these weights, the weights at this gym are heavier than the weights at the gym that I went to before. That's what they've done. They're just tricking, right? But, but I realized that something had gone askew and so I realized I'd have to start from scratch, Right? So I was like, well, if I'm going to start from scratch, I really want to look at how am I going to go to the gym? What's it going to look like? Because if I'm being honest, when I went to the gym earlier when I was a student, it was just all about getting swole. Anyone here keen on getting swole? You can be honest. Isaac's like, yeah, I'm keen on getting swole. Some of you are like, I'm not keen on getting swole. I'm already swole. Some of you are like, what does swole mean? <laughs> what, what are these words you're using? Right? And, and so I was keen on just doing the, the exercises that would make my bicep bigger than my head. Right? I was like, leg day, what's leg day? Arms every day. I used to work out and not stretch my arms. And so then I'd, I'd leave the gym. Some of you are going to identify with this story. And the next day I'd be like, what's happened? And I'd literally have to do this to straighten out my arm because I didn't know what stretching was and I only worked out my arms. And that was silly, right? Some of you are like writing down notes furiously. This is how you do it. That's why my arms hit all the time. And, and, and so I was like, man, I don't just want to go to the gym just for, for, for posing. I don't just want to go to the gym for, for, for looking, you know, lovely. I, I want it to be helpful. And, and so I started reading uh, about who here has heard of CrossFit, right? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, no, right? CrossFit's this idea of, of going to the gym, and it, 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 it describes its programs as constantly varied functional movements performed at relatively high intensity. If you've ever been to CrossFit, you'd probably be, uh, debate the relatively high intensity bit. You'd be like, no, it's just high, just really high intensity, right? So, so I, I'd heard about CrossFit, and, and I'd seen people going to CrossFit and just like crazy transformations, but I'd also seen the price tag of a CrossFit membership, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because uh, I don't, you know, I'm just starting out. I don't know how committed I'm going to be to this. But I thought I, I want to get the same kind of results because CrossFit sells itself as being a gym that works outside of the gym, right? It's, it sells itself as a, a type of fitness that, that's a, a, a functional fitness, a, a fitness that's adaptable and, and applicable that would help you in your everyday life with movements that, that would be usable. Because so much of going to the gym can, can be all about doing exercises that only work in the gym. Building certain muscles that just, that one muscle that it looks really great when you flex in a certain way, but you go to pick something up and you realize you didn't strengthen the muscles around it. That, that your strength isn't actually functional because the muscles around it haven't been strengthened. All it's good for is posing. How often in life is our faith not functional but just posy? We do all the right things, we, we go all the right places, we say the right things, we write the right notes, we, we lift up our hands in the right part of the song, we, we know when in the praise song you're meant to jump and when you're just meant to stand and clap. We get the whole Christian thing, but, but in our life, our faith doesn't actually touch the ground. It, it's not really functional. Under pressure, our faith seems to fail us. When we need to move something heavy in our life, our faith seems to dissipate. Because this is what it's all about, right? This is ultimately the reason that we have preaching in church on a Sunday is to help what's in the Bible touch the ground in our lives every day, right? Equippers Church, we're about equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ, not just to look good in church on a Sunday, because there is a certain approach to spirituality that does not make the jump from Sunday morning to Wednesday afternoon. That, that, that's great on the weekend, but doesn't actually change your life. 
And, and, and so if that's the way, I want to look at today how we can have a functional faith. And to do that, I want to ask three questions. If you're taking notes uh, tonight, that the first question is, what is the object of your faith? Because here we are, and, and Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's instigating a conflict between a functional faith and a dysfunctional religious system. See, see Mark chapter 3 is about a lot more than just Jesus healing a man. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it's about Jesus confronting a religious system and restoring faith. Because it can be so easy for faith to be just a, a formality, for faith to be just a, a feeling or a formula, but it's meant to be so much more. That The theologian Richard Rohr describes faith as, as faith is patience with mystery. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, like Chrissy said this morning, it, it says in the NLT version that faith shows the reality of what we hoped for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Let's play a game really quick. I'm going to say a word and I want you to say the, the opposite of that word. Good. Light. Light. Faith. Right, I heard doubt. I heard fear. Right, right. What, what, what is the opposite of faith, right? We, we think of these things and we think of, of, of the opposite of faith as being an absence. Am I right? Like if you don't have faith, you're, you're missing something. If you don't have faith, you're, you're lacking something. But, but what happens if the opposite of faith isn't an absence at all, but, but a presence? See, tonight I want to suggest to you that maybe the, the opposite of faith is certainty. Because then the objective of faith isn't to comfort us. Then the objective of faith isn't to, to give us the warm fuzzies. Then the objective of faith isn't to, to make us feel all right about ourselves, to, to lull us to sleep at night. Th then a life of faith isn't one that's comfortable. It, it isn't one in which everything is figured out and working well. A, a life of faith, if, if, if the opposite of faith is certainty, then a life of faith is one on the edge. One where you're constantly trusting God, stretched, maybe full of doubt, but still operating in faith. See, maybe faith isn't certainty, and then faith isn't a feeling, which means that you can have faith even when you don't feel like it. See, so often I think that we buy into this lie. I'm just not feeling like faith right now. I'm just not feeling like God can help me right now. I'm just, I just think I need to get my feelings sorted out, and then me and God can chat. I just need to, to feel it. Oh, I'm not really feeling church at the moment. See, what happens if faith isn't about feelings? What happens if the opposite of faith is to stay in places that are so familiar that you don't need anything bigger than you? See, see, see certainty is the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is, is having it all figured out. And this is the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees have certainty. They have it all figured out. They'd systemized the spiritual life to the point where they no longer needed the author of it. They had a temple and God wasn't in it. And so here they are. It's all about the stipulations and the regulations and the rules blinding them from the very thing that they're trying to see. See, what's the objective or, or the purpose of your faith? What is the objective of, of my faith? Because the objective matters. The objective makes a difference. So how do we figure it out? See, in, in this passage, there are three different characters represented with three different objectives to their faith. The first one is Jesus. He came to the synagogue, to the temple that day to heal. 
His objective was to heal. Then the next was the man with the withered hand, with the, with the shriveled hand. His objective was, was to be healed. And then there's the Pharisees. They came that day to judge. See, I find it scary that there are people who come to church often without meaning to. I know I've done it. But we come for the experience. We, we come for the, for the music. We come for the, the motivation. And, and if we're not careful, as a result, we end up judging. Oh, he's preaching again? Ah, this song again? Oh, do, do, do they, they do this bit better down the road. See, the Pharisees came to watch. It's, it says in Mark, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus came to heal, and the Pharisees came looking for an offense. See, when we come to church, what are we looking for? The Pharisees had the wrong objective. Because isn't that the danger, to, to make our faith simply to be something that we've created to serve our own preferences? Right, theirs was an exclusive faith rather than an inclusive faith. It was more about judging how God should do it than being a part of God doing it. The objective of faith is not to form a club for the already converted. The objective of faith is about reaching out and healing or about being healed. See, no one in that room was reaching out, but only one man couldn't. The rest wouldn't. See, everyone in that room that day was refusing to reach out their hand, but only one man's hand was shriveled. Everyone else had a hard heart. See, the sickness of the system was that it had grown to cultivate the complacency of the already well and to shut the doors to the sick. See, tonight, does your, obje does your faith have an objective that is beyond you? See, what was wrong with the, the shriveled hand was a reflection of the system and the system not working because faith needs a correct objective. So let's have a quick objective check, right, as if this wasn't intense enough already. See, me, me and Em did this this week, and um, it made me very uncomfortable. Right? But, but when was the last time that you prayed a prayer for someone else? Right? Maybe you're a good Christian, and, and you know, oh, man, I just did that this morning. So, so when was it the last time that you prayed a prayer that if it was granted, it would make your life less convenient? See, because what is the objective of our faith? Why did you show up today? What is the level of your expectation? If we're not careful, we'll end up judging how Jesus healed the hand rather than being a part of it. We'll end up coming in and saying, I don't know, it wasn't his best sermon, you know? I just felt that if he'd done the, the mud in the eyes trick again, would it just gone across a lot better? Why, why did he have to make the guy stretch out his hand rather than being a part of it from the beginning? See, Jesus came to heal and save a broken world. The objective of our faith needs to be to be healed ourselves and to help others find their healing. If, if, if faith shows the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things we cannot see, what do we hope for? How big is our faith? You know, I'm not saying we can't have faith for ourselves. I'm not saying we can't have faith for, for our situations. That's important. But how small are our lives? How small are our worlds? If I'm only ever believing for, for my job and, and, and for, for work going well and for my family and for my immediate circle, my faith only has so far to stretch before it's hemmed in. 
before it can't go any further, before I can't believe for anything more. But if my faith expands, if my faith is about you and, and your success, if my faith is about us and us changing the city, if my faith is about Wellington and New Zealand and the world, then all of a sudden I've got so much further to stretch out my faith because I have to believe for so much more. See, what's the objective of your faith? My second question tonight is what's the occasion for your faith? Did anyone uh, here growing up have, have good china plates? Show of hands. Anyone have good china? Just the white kids. No, yeah, yeah. Good job. I was like, man, this analogy is not cross-cultural. My bad. Right? Um, who here still has good china plates? Nice. You still got good china? Ah, man. Do you live at home? Are they, I was going to say, you got your own china plates. That's fancy. Right? When, when me and Em got married, my nana was, was committed to buying us some good china plates, right? She was like, this is what, when you're married, this is what you need to get. You need to get yourself a, pla- a set of good china dinner set. And when it's fancy occasions, you're going to pull them out, you're going to eat off them, it's going to be marvelous. And I could, just, I could just see my future, right? And I could just see myself, you know, two years into the marriage, three years into the marriage, four years, six years, and then eventually they'd be gone, right? And every time it would just crush my heart. And I was like, I really just don't want a set of good china plates. I'm just, they're just going I'm, to, I'm, they're going to be in the back of my mind all the time. I'll be, I'll be preaching. And in the back of my mind will be, I wonder if the good china plates are safe at home. Did I, did I secure them? Did I wrap them in bubble wrap 15 times? Right? Because if I smash them, my nana will not speak to me ever again in my life. So, so what I did is I'm very uh, cunning and conniving. And so I, I spoke to my nana, and I was like, man, I really appreciate, you know, what you're wanting to do. But I was thinking, you know, we just, we're, we're going to shift around a lot. You know, we're, we're students. We, we, we move flats all the time because they're always infested with mold. <laughs> can, can, can you maybe not give us some good china plates? Maybe, maybe give us some really nice cutlery. Maybe some, like, some real sturdy stainless steel cutlery that, like, I could throw against the wall and nothing's going to happen to it. That, that we could move around and, and it's not going to happen. That, that we could f- drop it and stand on it and, and, and just, it would be fine, right? And my nana was like, no, 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 it's the same. So I got my mum to talk to her. My mum is the master of uh, convincing my nana of things. And so come our wedding day, we, we opened the, the gift from my nana and I got a, a package of stainless steel cutlery. I was like, this is awesome, right? It's the only cut we reuse. It's amazing. We haven't lost any yet. I don't think we've lost any yet, right? But if we did, there's not that emotional toil of like a smash. It's not as obvious. You just don't know, right? But here's the thing is, is one gift we use all the time, another gift we would take out on special occasions. And our faith is going to be one of the two. Our faith is going to be something that we can apply in everyday life, that we're constantly going to, that we rely upon, or our faith is going to be something that we keep hidden away in the the top corner of the pantry and we only pull out on Christmas and Easter, that we only come to when it's a special occasion, when we really feel that we need it. See, how often do you go to your faith? How often do you rely on it? Have we relegated our faith to only one part of our life? See, for Jesus, faith wasn't a special occasion kind of thing. I don't know about you, but I want a faith that works on Wednesday. I, w- I want a faith that, that works on, that allows me to, to stand tall on Friday, that allows me to, to walk out on Saturday, but a faith that is only practiced on Sunday will only really function on Sunday. See, that's a bone china kind of faith, a faith that's brittle, that's isolated. 
that's really not good for lifting anything. It's one of those muscles that you can only pose with. I don't know about you, but I want a, a functional faith, a faith that is helpful and, and adaptable and applicable in everyday life. See, my third and final question today, just as I get the musos up, is what's the order of your faith? See, see why did Jesus pick a fight in the synagogue on that day? If we think about this, this man, this man could have waited any other day to have his hand healed, right? A, a shriveled hand isn't a lethal disease. He's not going to die. It's not going to kill him. It can wait till tomorrow. He's lived his entire life with it already. Why did Jesus choose to heal the man on the Sabbath, right? The fact that he chose to heal him on the Sabbath when he could have done it any other day because it wasn't urgent must mean that Jesus chose to heal him on the Sabbath because it meant something to heal him on the Sabbath. See, we, we read in, in this passage in Mark 3 and tend to think that, that the ultimate objective was to heal the man's hand. But it says in verse 5 that Jesus looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. See, wh which is worse, the man with the shriveled hand or the Pharisees with the hard hearts? Which one did Jesus really come to heal that day? See, Jesus wants to confront us tonight, I think, to make sure that we don't have a hard heart. Because with a hard heart, the, the, the objective of our faith is going to be wrong. And if the objective of our faith is wrong, then the occasion will become more sporadic, become something that we hide, that, that, that we relegate to, to a distant corner of our life. See, the man's hand was really more about the Pharisees' hearts. So Jesus says to the man, stand up in front of the people and stretch out your hand. See, it's interesting that Jesus told the man to stretch. This meant that Jesus was asking him to put his deformity on display. This thing that this man had probably hidden his, his entire life, Jesus asked him to bring it out into the open. And it would have been thought in this culture that the reason his hand was deformed was because of his sin or his parents' sin. So when he stretches it out, everyone is judging him. Everyone is saying, that is your fault. You're a bad person, and that's proof of it. See, see, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that he wants the man to move his weakness towards him. Today, maybe Jesus is asking you to move your most embarrassing thing towards him to move that thing that you're hiding towards Jesus, to move that secret towards Jesus. What would your life look like if you moved your weakness from hiding towards Jesus? Because what I love about this story, what I find encouraging about this story is that as the man stretched out his hand, it was healed. Jesus didn't ask him to, to pray, to, to recite the commandments, to, to do anything. Jesus didn't even pray himself as far as it's recorded. He just said, move it towards me. And upon this man moving his weakest space towards God, he was healed. What, was the guy pumped? Was he, was he excited for it? Was he like, oh yeah, this old thing, oh sure. No way. Right, he's embarrassed. He, he wants to hide it. But, but God didn't bring you to church today to show off the parts of your life that are working. He brought you here today to heal the parts that aren't. See, so what did Jesus ask the man to do? He asked the man to do something that the man was sure he couldn't. Now, I could never stretch this out. I could never show this to people. See, faith will cause you to do what you are unable to do. This man couldn't stretch out his hand, but faith will rewrite who you are. Faith will call you a conqueror when all you have known is defeat. 
See, and it's significant that this man had a deformed hand. Because if the issue was with his legs, everyone would have known the moment that he was carried into the temple. If the issue was with his eyes, everyone would have known the moment he had to feel his way in. But, but a hand you can hide. A hand you can have behind your back. A hand you can hold in, inside your clothes. A hand no one necessarily needs to know about. See, maybe tonight no one knows about your temper. No one knows about that addiction. No one knows about that hurt. No one knows about how you really feel about yourself. But maybe tonight Jesus is asking you to stretch it out towards Him anyway, to display a functional faith. But, but we think that it comes down to knowing that you know that you know before we take a risk, right? If that was me, I would have said to Jesus, why? Jesus would have said, stretch out your hand. I would say, why? What are you going to do? What hand? I'm fine. I don't need healing. I don't need help. I'm, I'm fine, Jesus. Go help those guys. Because I like to pretend that I'm all good, that I'm all working, that I'm whole and that I'm fine and that, that I'm good. Look at me. I'm perfect. Right? But Jesus knows that we all have things on the inside. We all have our own shriveled hand, our own hurts, our own mistakes, our own thing that, that tonight maybe we need to stretch towards God and say, I need you to help me with this. See, some of us are waiting to trust God when our hand is already healed, when times get easier, when it feels right, but it's not that way. Trusting God is stretching out your hand and then seeing what happens. See, this is functional faith, moving our weakness towards Him. Jesus has come to seek and save those who are lost, those who are deformed and withered, and, and He heals us as we stretch out towards Him. See, the order matters. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you know that your faith isn't functional like it should be. Maybe, maybe like the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, you've let your relationship with God turn into rules and regulations. You, you sing up, you show up, sorry, you sing the songs and, and, and you leave. If you're honest with yourself, the, the objective of your faith isn't right. Maybe you've just realized it tonight. Man, when I come to church, all I'm believing for is just a little top up and then I'm out. All I'm believing for is just to, to feel a little tingle, just to convince me that maybe God's real and, and then I'm gone again. Your faith isn't about changing the world. Your faith isn't about being healed, about solving your problems. It's just about being able to ignore them a little bit longer. See, what's the objective of our faith? Maybe the occasion of your faith isn't what God intended it. If you're honest, it's become a bone china faith, not a stainless steel one. But whoever you are, we all have something within us that we know is our shriveled hand, something that we're hiding from God. Last week, both, both Ellie and Dougal brought a word about God loving you with your mistakes and hurt, about God seeing through them to the inside, seeing who you really are. And some of you have been thinking about that all week. And, and tonight, I, I'm so, so sure that God wants to restore us as we respond. See, it was as the man stretched that he was healed. God is wanting some people here today to stretch. Where will you stretch this week? Maybe it's giving someone that, that call and extending the hand of forgiveness towards them. Maybe some of you need to hear that you're going to get your hand back if you just start to stretch it. Are you ready to initiate change in an area of your life that you've just pretended doesn't exist for so long? See, in a minute, the band's going to lead us in a song. But just before they do, I, I want to leave you with this thought. 
Right? Jesus has called us to be his hands and his feet. Right? He's called us to take his message to the world, his message of hope, right? The objective of our faith is to reach a hurting humanity with a message of hope and healing to those who are, are hopeless and broken. Right? That's why we're here. That's why we've been entrusted with this, with this hope, with this, this relationship with God. But if, if one of our hands is constantly behind our back, if one of our hands is constantly hidden, if our entire objective of our faith is just to pretend that we've got it together, just to pretend that we're not as broken as we know we are, just to pretend that, that we can keep on going, that we're fine, that we're not really crippled, then how are we ever going to reach out to the world if all of, our, all of our energy is consumed with hiding who we are, hiding our own hurt from the world, hiding our own hurt, maybe even from ourselves? Maybe that's how, how it becomes about rules and religion because really we're just hiding our hand. Maybe today you don't feel bold enough to stretch out towards God for you. Maybe you've learned to live with this thing, this shame, this hurt, this misbelief, this lie. You've carried it a long time. And if you're honest, the idea of fixing it seems like more trouble than it's worth. Maybe you need to realize tonight that there is someone out there who you love, someone out there who you adore, who needs you to reach out your hand towards them, who is in, in pain and, and hopelessness right now. And you've got an answer for them, but the answer at the moment is behind your back. The answer at the moment is, is, is wrapped up in you trying to convince yourself that you're okay. And the first step towards helping them is realizing that you need help yourself that you need to be healed yourself. So as the band leads us, how are you going to stretch? Maybe, maybe it's now in worship, choosing to let God in. Maybe it's in the week, doing that thing that you're afraid of, taking a step forward. Maybe it's talking to someone, getting help. But tonight, can we as a church stand to our feet? And can we decide that we're not going to hide anymore? That we're not going to be a church that's concerned with, with pretending that we're fine? They're pretending that we've got it together, but we're going to look our brokenness in the face and say, this isn't going to stop me. This isn't going to limit me because my God is bigger than this. And as we stretch out our arm towards God, He starts to heal it. And we realize that we now carry a healing that other people need. Come on, church, as the band leads us, let's realize that our God is bigger than our pain, that our God is bigger than our hurt, that our God is bigger than our disappointment, and that He wants to meet us here and change everything. Come on, let's sing.